0: In 2014, Martin Scorsese announced that he would make another film to reunite himself, Robert De Niro, and Joe Pesci for their first time since Casino. As one can expect, all of this is building up to become some huge cinematic event. So where would everyone need to go in order to witness something of such grandiose? Well, you won't even need to go anywhere. You're, you know, As a matter of fact, you won't even have to leave your home, because the movie will be right available on Netflix on November 27th. And so... That begins this episode of Cinema from the Spectrum. I'm your host, Jamie Revenal and I'm joined by...
1: Jonathan Kirkwood.
0: So, unlike most of you who are probably going to be watching The Irishman on Netflix, me and Jonathan went over to the Tiff Bell Lightbox where we just saw The Irishman in theaters. And... For uh, for many reasons, I thought that uh, it would just feel like it's more appropriate to be watching a new Martin Scorsese movie in theaters. So, Jonathan,
1: got you any input on that? Um, I really, really enjoyed it. If before we get into like any kind of, we're not going to get into like crazy details about the movie or anything like that. But for anyone that is interested in potentially seeing this film, I would highly recommend it, uh, seeing it in theaters, not at home. <laughs> As with, because uh, I
0: feel like if you're watching a movie like this and it's already Martin Scorsese's longest movie, as a matter of fact, it's like three and a half hours long, something about watching it in theaters feels like you're uh, you're really sinking into the movie rather than just watching it on home at Netflix because, because if you're just watching it on Netflix, you could easily be distracted at home.
1: Yeah, I think another trap about the actual length of this movie is that people might be... Uh... Um, inclined to think that this is a movie you can take breaks like within. So mm-hmm. if you're watching it at home, you'll think, oh, I can, you know, split this into three parts, watch it, you know, over so many days. But I really do recommend sitting it all, like sitting down and watching it all in one sitting. Yeah. Plus, uh,
0: if there's anything
1: else, there's no intermission too, so it feels more appropriate
0: watching it that way. But we also wanted to talk a little bit about how uh, this is a movie that Martin Scorsese has wanted to make for such a long time, but but the thing is, he didn't really have the funding for it up until Netflix put up the money for it. So that also the uh, thing is, that also kind of brings in another talking point about how uh, Martin Scorsese has recently said about Marvel movies not really
1: being cinema the way he saw it. Yeah, I, I can see that. I would describe them as
0: movies
1: (laughs) and that's obviously like a bit of semantics there between like what's cinematic and what is movies and i i think that movies is something you go to a drive-in for it's more like it's a spectator thing it's for people that kind of want to visit the movies not people that are necessarily invested in theater per se so a lot of people that will see marvel movies there's a lot of hype there's a lot of like uh you know there's almost a social requirement to see it because it's considered such a large event not because they're you know inherently artistic or challenging in in any form of way, whereas like you kind of you kind of have to seek out those kinds of movies.
0: Yeah, and he plus, he also said that they are more akin to theme parks rather than
1: the cinema he's used to, which, you know, I actually have to admit, I quite agree with him there. Yeah, I, I think I also think a lot of people are misrepresenting his opinion. And saying, what? They're movies. Of course they're movies. <laughs> I just saw it right now. And that's not what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, the thing is, when it came to... He wanted to also talk a little bit about how, how uh, whenever there's a new Marvel movie coming out, it's also a lot harder for a lot of smaller films to try and build up their own audience if they're opening... If they're set to open at the same time as, let's say, a new Avengers movie or whatnot. So.
1: It's, it's not even just... Well, I think most films are smaller than Disney. Oh, yeah, true. But <laughs> it's not even uh, explicitly for smaller directors or smaller productions because when I went to go see um, a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. what was in, th- what was in like, the big IMAX theater? It was The Lion King. You couldn't, <laughs> see, you couldn't see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on like, the biggest screen in the theater because The Lion King was occupying it already. And I think there's gonna be an ongoing thing with Disney where like they're just gonna have these giant, giant releases, and no one's gonna be able to compete just because it's so freaking popular. And uh, that also, speaking of
0: Tarantino, we also uh, there was there was another dilemma he had where he wanted to show a movie over at uh, at the Cinerama Dome because it's a place that's meant a lot to him. But the thing is, uh, because Star Wars: The Force Awakens came out then, he wasn't even allowed to show The Hateful Eight. In the way he really wanted it to be shown and because Disney kept it in that theater for over a month so
1: yeah no n- not to get into like the crazy conspiracy theory but I really do feel like yeah, eventually Disney's just gonna have this giant monopoly on film at some point and then in, in order to find like these smaller movies you're really gonna have to work for it and find these theaters that are willing to show it you know at, at a loss of profit of course and uh, plus, the, that's
0: why uh, we're really glad to have the uh, to have the Tiff Bell light box still around because we, if it weren't for if it weren't for them, we wouldn't even be able to watch movies like The Irishman in theaters. Just as we know, uh, Martin Scorsese would have really wanted it to be shown in the first place. Yeah.
1: It's it's such a pleasure. It's so it's so silly this whole debate uh, between like the streaming and whatnot. And I get that Netflix put this in theaters because they want it to be applicable for certain awards Mm -hmm. but i really do think that theaters need to kind of mature a little bit (laughs) and understand that streaming is the new way it's not people coming out to theaters anymore it's the theaters coming to you know the audiences That's the that was another talking
0: point that we also uh that we also were discussing last year when Roma was made available on Netflix and we know Steven Spielberg was pretty beefed when we knew, when we knew it was going to be up for the Oscars no matter what.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy that it's coming to Blu-ray, right?
0: Uh yeah, Roma has been announced for a Criterion Blu-ray in February and I know I'm going to pick up a copy of this one on day 1. And uh, I'll also say this though, if uh, if there's anything else for Earth uh, noting about a Criterion release for Roma, I, if it means that we could potentially get a uh, home video release for The Irishman, I'm totally down for that.
1: Yeah, uh, I really do think for like these large releases and these really well, you know, received movies and also critically acclaimed, uh, there should definitely be like hard copy releases because when it comes to streaming quality, there's always some kind of disparity or some loss <laughs> in quality when it's transmitted towards you. So having the actual physical copy, it's so much better.
0: Yeah, plus uh, sometimes when your internet connection is not the best, you're also going to lose a lot of the... Uh, it's uh, The image won't even look as good when it's being transmitted to you. So.
1: Yeah, and plus you'll be, you know, a little more hesitant to watch it on your phone and you'll actually watch it on a TV this time. Yeah. Okay, and uh, now that we're... Uh, now that we're uh, talking so much
0: about uh, Netflix, it's time we actually talk about the movie itself. So, uh, how would uh, you
1: describe the movie for our listeners, John? Um, a very, very mature, um, a very, very mature version of Goodfellas. There, there's a lot of things about it that, for me, tie back to Goodfellas. They are not the same movie at all. There, there's still a sense of humor, but um, I really do think that Scorsese has put a lot of personal themes in it that I think that he's going through as well. That's uh, that's the first thing that I uh, I
0: thought about as well, because it's uh, a lot of people would think that, oh, Scorsese's making another crime movie. Can't wait for this to be another Goodfellas or Casino. But really, if, we ju- if you're just sitting there watching the movie for yourself, you're going to realize, no, this is... This
1: definitely does not feel like Goodfellas at all. It's it's a it's a it's a very very different story. It um even even from the starting of the movie it's not this it's not this young young man. It's it, it starts um the protagonist Robert De Niro, it, he starts in his middle age and it's it, it's a very very different story. It's not this 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 fast and high octane kind of life. It's um it, it's just a it's. It has so much more than the face value that Goodfellas had in a lot of way mm-hmm. that people flock to. It's also a lot more uh, meditative, I would say. hmm Yeah, it's it's incredibly f- thoughtful, especially in the um, the latter half. Yeah. Um, I would
0: also uh, I would also like to say though, it's like, uh, were you also considering how this movie takes place over decades in the life of Frank Sheeran? It, how did you feel about the
1: de aging technology being used on Robert De Niro? Um at first because i know exactly what these actors look like <laughs> i noticed it almost immediately and at at very first because because i have been following up on these people it was very distracting especially around the mouths because i was i was actively looking for it mm-hmm. but after the first like 10 minutes i totally forgot about it and then they they're walking through a lot of people's lives mm-hmm. and they're using de-aging technology on multiple people and then they slowly start to let go of some of this de-aging technology <laughs> on some of the characters it's really really impressive like <laughs> as the movie goes on like they they just subtly start removing some of it it's it's really good
0: it's uh yeah it's quite mind-blowing and to think this is already Scorsese's most this is already Scorsese's second most expensive movie it I think it, I think we can, it's
1: fair to say that it really did pay off. So, yeah. Another side thing, um, like making people look beautiful, de aging aside. <laughs> um, what I really, really did like about this movie too is that a lot of the, well, first of all, it's like all the main characters are like these old guys. It's it's these uh, old actors that we know and love, and it's just it's really cool just seeing them be chummy, and <laughs> hang around. Like, there's no young people. There's no like people with six pack abs. It's just like. It feels like very, very genuine and, and real and authentic. And then all the background actors that you see, they're not the typical background actors you'd see. Um, there's a bit of, um, some of this movie covers uh, the Teamsters. So it's like these uh, trucking unions or the trucking union. And so then um, all these men are like slightly overweight or like, uh, like they don't look like models or actors. These, these look like real people that they roped into the scene and sat down <laughs> for 20 minutes. <laughs>
0: you know it's also uh since we also talked about the teamsters and i think it's also uh it's also in a way like scorsese just looking back at american history in general and how uh, it's uh and what it was like to to live
1: through a big turning point for the country so mm-hmm. yeah yeah shifting away from from unions for uh a reason that's a bit darker than you know we'd mm-hmm. like to think where the actual involvement of the mob with uh jimmy hoffa and things like that
0: <laughs> and we're not gonna we're not gonna get into spoilers though and speaking of jimmy hoffa can you even believe that this was the first time that martin scorsese ever worked with al pacino in anything
1: yeah you, you were telling me about that and i I was, I was flipping through some of the movies and i couldn't believe it i can't believe that al pacino's never yeah and, and he's amazing in this movie it's uh,
0: the thing is, uh, I uh, we also talked a little bit about this movie after uh, after the movie ended, and we had a discussion in the movie theater with other audiences who saw the movie. We uh, we were uh, kind of amazed that uh, Al Pacino is sort of playing the sort of character that we we already knew Joe Pesci played when he was in Goodfellas and Casino too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't know if Joe Pesci's got the energy for it right now for <laughs> this kind of movie, but no he's um I mean Al Pacino is just totally over the top he's so good in it. it it does bore on like cartoon a little bit but it's just it's so entertaining it, it never took me out of it
0: yeah just uh just listening to Al Pacino just going on you always charge a guy with a gun with a knife you run away with a knife you run away
1: there's nothing uh, I, uh, the first thing I said to myself yep that's totally something Jimmy Hoffa would say yeah and, and i was surprised that the humor got me so much in the film and th- and also that there's so much of it but it's not a slapstick comedy by any means or anything yeah. like that no it's um it's it's just really really well done like everyone gets the jokes yeah plus i think it, it's all it was already kind of funny enough just thinking about how many guns were were just tossed into the river like that, that that's a great bit too there's this uh one scene where uh robert de niro's character is uh he's he's a uh, he's elucidating on um how like they would dispose of guns after different hits and things like that and they just throw them in the same river so then they're saying like you could what is it, you could arm a small country or whatever <laughs> so they they have like um there's there's a lot to learn from this movie too like it's there's been a ton of research like a lot of legwork behind the scenes in order to actually like paint this picture and make it accurate
0: plus uh we also uh there's another thing I felt about uh about how we're, about every uh, bit, every burst of violence that shows up on screen? Because you know, unlike something like Casino or Goodfellas, they only they don't really come so frequently too. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, you know, it's like it's kind of nice to see that uh, even at as uh, Scorsese is uh, adapting to modern technology, he's also kind of. He's also kind of choosing to relax
1: his style a little bit more, too. So. What do you he, say? Oh, um, yeah. Um, um, it's really impressive to me how um, Scorsese is willing to stay up to date with this kind of technology. Like, how old is he? 70, he's uh, He just... Uh,
0: it was his birthday uh, yesterday,
1: I believe. Is he 77, 76? He w- is... He's 77 right now. So Martin Scorsese is 77, and he's, he's using de-aging technology. He's using... Uh, uh, he's using like really really powerful like camera equipment uh, he, he's racing around doing all this this freaking research even it, caught up with the streaming game on netflix too just he, to get the movie made even took money from a streaming service which it's like i don't know like 76 i don't know when you're born for that <laughs> but like it's so impressive like how how hard this director is working yeah. it's it's crazy
0: <laughs> and you know he's also been pooling his influence into the World Cinema Project, which is dedicated to restoring films from all around the world, which are in danger of being lost. You're familiar with this, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I got nothing. I've got nothing but love for that.
0: Yeah, it's just amazing what Scorsese has been doing. Just to, ju- just uh, not only on the not only not only behind the camera, but just in terms of his contributions to the film industry in general. It's just. Uh, He's such a gift to the world of film, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, uh, we would also uh, like to talk a little bit more about how, uh, how Ray Romano's presence in uh, The Irishman too, because uh, I remember in the when I saw the first trailer, it was like, "Whoa, Ray Romano is back!" In like, when was the last time I saw him? When was the last time I saw him something big? So. Uh,
1: there's that. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know either. But <laughs> <laughs> actually, I mean, there was the big sick from. Yes, the... I was going to say the big sick. That I think that was the last one I saw him in, but I couldn't remember the name. Yeah, or the, <laughs> name of the uh, the actor who wrote it. Yeah. Oh, isn't that uh, Kumal Nanjiani? Yes, that's yeah. the guy. Yeah. Come on. Um, oh, sorry. You go right ahead. Okay.
0: So, uh, the, so Ray Romano plays a very. Uh, he plays uh, Bill Bufalino, who is the attorney for Robert De Niro's character Frank Sheeran, and. Uh, you know, it's all. Uh, when I uh, saw the first moment, I saw him. I, saw, I thought to myself, "Oh, this is really gonna take quite. A, this is really gonna t- take quite an entertaining turn." Because in this, in the context of his first appearance of the movie, he Frank has already been accused of stealing meat from the. Uh, he's been accused of stealing meat from, from his own company, where he's supposed to be de- who he's supposed to be delivering on behalf of, and then
1: yeah. Oh yeah yeah so um. Yeah. So it's like this, um, this small crime that uh, Robert De Niro is getting pegged for. <laughs> She's totally guilty. But um, this Buffalino character comes in, and it's kind of this um, this this lawyer for the mob, I guess, would, would be what it is. Yeah. And it's just – his character has, like, this, his, this humor about it. I don't know if it's just the voice, but like, whenever he was in a scene, it was just like – and he's not in the movie for a huge portion, but whenever he shows up, they're always – really good scenes
0: i mean the supporting cast of the movie in general is great too because you also have uh i don't know bobby cannavale as uh felix skinny razor D- i don't know how to, i don't know how to say that <laughs> i like, always have a lot of trouble with pronouncing those italian names oh yeah yeah, yeah. but uh and not only that but you also had uh, harvey keitel showing up as well mm-hmm. oh, and and as well as uh, Jesse Plemons, or as some of us would like to call him, Meth Damon. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, you know, with, the, when, with such a huge cast like this, it's amazing how Scorsese still gave every one of them such, impre- such a
1: huge amount of breathing room, too, just to be themselves. So. Mm-hmm. There is one, there's one minor aspect that got brought up during that, uh, the meeting that we had yeah. uh, after the screening. And that was about um, some of the female actors throughout the film. Mm -hmm. And that they don't really show up too much apart from scenes that are kind of more targeted towards Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to get into spoilers, but I do feel like um, they were in the movie for the amount of time they needed to be to get across one of the major themes. I uh, totally
0: agree with that. Plus, I think... uh, I know Scorsese was asked about how uh, he doesn't really have that many female leads in his movies, but I do think that uh, I do think though that given the sort of subject matter he's working with, it makes sense that he's uh, giving them he's still giving them the sort of power that they do have because uh, Anna Paquin, who shows up for uh, for most of the for the second half of the movie, she uh, still she still carries a lot of power in her character despite not really speaking for the most part too
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it's um it's difficult when it comes to making period pieces or uh making any kind of piece when it comes to crime because it's it's pretty much male dominated wherever you look especially when it comes to something like you know like any kind of old italian uh valued system Mm -hmm. like generally it's fairly male dominated so it is Without kind of shoehorning it, it is kind of difficult to have those kind of female characters not in a supporting role. But I do feel like the ones that were in a supporting role in this movie were, I think they were used quite well.
0: Yeah, I would have to agree. I also think with the film's long running time, did you ever feel any of
1: that at any point of the movie? Okay, my butt hurt around the two-hour mark, but that's a, <laughs> me, that's a me issue. That, 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 that was just me not ready for it. um but um a little a little near the end like around the three hour mark that was i can tell it was on purpose It's, (laughs) it's there's a lot of things in this movie that are difficult to call mistakes because it's so clear that they're on purpose it's the the movie does slow down a bit near the ending and this is for a very very important reason for an overarching theme y- yet again there's there's a lot of very very themes that are carefully um uh they're very instrumental in moving the plot forward and also you know bringing home a few like really um some very depressing messages but mm-hmm. yeah near the ending's a bit slow but it's it's good
0: in general the uh s- the entire second half of the movie is a whole lot more quiet than the first one which is like super fast paced super witty qu- su- and that's the sort of that's the Scorsese that we all know and love.
1: So. Yeah. They they ditch a lot of the narration by um second half. Yeah. Yeah, it um it definitely changes the tone of the film and it's um it, it's subtle in a way.
0: Yeah. And uh plus with the uh with the framing of this story under uh Frank Sheeran's old age, it's also it also we also uh, talked a little bit about how this, this movie does feel like very personal for Martin Scorsese. And it's like, in a way, I would say it's like his uh, means of uh, looking, at, looking back at what it is that his work with the crime genre in general has done for him as a whole, too.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of reflection. I can see um, a lot of himself you know, superimposed into Robert De Niro's character, also, also in a few other characters as well. Um, a little more mildly but um this is definitely a, a personal film and um a big ref- a big moment of reflection for martin scorsese i am curious to see what he does beyond this mm-hmm. because this really does feel like a very um a solemn and sincere kind of film and almost a almost a farewell
0: yeah, I mean, if this were to, if this were to become uh, Martin Scorsese's final mobster movie by any means, I'd still be, I'd still be totally okay with it because it feels like, uh, it feels sort of like the solemn swan song that Clint Eastwood made when, uh, when he made Unforgiven to the western genre. I
1: I'd agree. Yeah.
0: Also, um, we'd also like to talk about how. Uh, how Martin Scorsese does play around with history, but especially concerning Jimmy Hoffa, do you still? Th- I uh, do you think that Jimmy Hoffa disappeared in the same way that he did in the movie?
1: We're not gonna reveal that. Um, we're not we're not revealing anything. Yeah. When it comes to Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance in real life, I don't really know that much. I haven't done any research, <laughs> apart from what. I've been informed by the movie but of course that's also very colored by uh, (laughs) Martin Scorsese's interpretation of a lot of um, evidence and also circumstantial evidence Um, when it comes to Jimmy Hoffa I think what is depicted in the movie it's probably what happened do you really think so (laughs) any any other possibility he most likely would have been located even when it comes to like expats like i I think the movie is fairly close to reality
0: hmm. you know i uh part of me is still kind of skeptical how much of this is also a lie that uh that Frank Sheeran came up with in his head but uh you know i also i also think that uh i i also think that if anything does make this movie still stick its landing, it's the way in which it's still. It's the way in which Scorsese does toy around with. It's the way Scorsese does toy around with what we know as his and Frank's interpretation of how history t- actually took
1: place. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it comes to specific characters, I don't know, but mm-hmm. like I think generally, like the conclusion that they arrive to around um, Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance and like where they kind of explore that, I think it's in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. I think it's close
0: plus we also don't really have we didn't really see most of the characters die on the screen just we just saw like a we just saw like their uh, the description of the death flashing right as soon as they were introduced
1: you see a few yeah y- you you do but they have they have this hilarious thing that they do right at the start and it's uh whenever they introduce a new character they uh they, they don't do a freeze frame they do like this uh this pushing this uh this artificial <laughs> like pushing on these characters and there's like it says like you know died uh like 1990 shot like 18 times in the head or something like that it like some... like, was loved by all died of natural causes oh, oh yeah that was that was such a heartwarming one but but like there's like it's so freaking dark and like it's always they're shaking hands and they're smiling it, it it was really really clever like occasionally a, a little jarring but like necessary it's a good punchline for those
0: yeah but eventually in the second half when we actually get to see you more when we get to see more of uh of uh russell buffalino and frank together in prison that's where it also that's where a lot of the that's where it does uh it does take a lot it does become a lot more uh how what's the word uh, i'm looking for it you, n- you know what i'm talking about Th- then, there's
1: right? a noticeable denouement yeah
0: it's, yeah uh... it's it becomes a uh, it becomes a lot sadder too uh-huh.
1: yeah it's um it's heart-wrenching seeing like these uh, these guys that were drinking and smoking and <laughs> and planning hits on you know the guy down the block and now they're just kind of like reserved and yeah, sullen it's and
0: it's also it's just quite
1: impressive in general just how Scorsese makes us feel
0: some sort of sympathy for people who've made their lives on just taking out mo- taking out mob hits left and right so.
1: yeah and how they make you actually sympathize with a few of the villains in the film yeah yeah it's a I mean, I don't know if that's everyone's experience, but but for me, I, I felt I felt a pity, and I think that pity does a really good job of, like, dowsing any kind of anger that you have for somebody.
0: And it's a lo- It's also something that we felt with Anna Paquin's character, but if we delve into a lot more of that, again, spoilers. So.
1: It's, as much as we like to go into it, it's not useful to talk about spoilers for this instance because it's, like, some of the overarching trends are far more important than some yeah. of those little details.
0: It's like you still feel how... Uh, her character during her childhood was, she was very uncertain about uh, the sort of things that her father got into because, as a matter of in the first scene, after she gets humiliated by the grocery shop owner, what's the first thing Frank does?
1: You know? Oh, uh, he goes to town. <laughs> he, go, he, he, take, he takes care of business. Yeah. But um, <laughs> before we move off of that grocery store scene, gro- grocery store scene, Is there any part of the movie that you did not like?
0: Is there any part of the movie I did not like? Um. Whew, I don't know if I. uh, I don't know if I have one scene in particular I don't really like. I. Um. But I just uh, noticed that I just. There's one part in the set. There's one portion in the second half that did feel a little weird to me. And it's the part where. uh, It's the part where Chucky gets picked up and then they just go on a
1: little. uh, It's like, why does, this, why does it smell so weird in the car? It's oh, like I was yeah. delivering a fish. Yeah, that's, that's a, part of, a movie, part of the movie that I have issues with, too, where they're kind of just switching cars for a little bit. <laughs> and it takes a long time. And there's some jokes in there to help, you know, hold you over. But that scene is noticeably long. It's just, uh, I mean, it is very funny while it's ongoing because it's all about, because <laughs> Chucky just goes, yeah, I don't even know what fish it was. I was just delivering a fish. Yeah, they're making this joke about uh, this guy delivered a fish from the back of his car, but didn't ask any questions about it. So that now the guy that's sitting in the passenger seat is going like, "What the heck? It smells like fish in here!" And the one guy in the in the driver's seat doesn't have any answers. It's, yeah, it's a it's a funny scene. It's it's really really good, but um, it's it's a little long. <laughs> it's a little long.
0: Yeah, if I the thing is if I watch that on Netflix, is like I, I don't know if I would really have issues with skipping through that. But it's like I don't. I also don't want to disrespect Scorsese's wishes by any means. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And there's only two more, there's only two other things in the film I did not like. So shoot them away. Number one is when, uh, uh, when he goes and takes care of business with the grocer, there's a scene with the grocer and, uh, he's kicking them on the curb. Yeah. Um, those are some weak old man kicks, man. (laughs) Uh, they, here's the thing. That sound designer was totally, was totally on point. he, he was doing his thing. He had, like, these amazing, like, flap, whap, like, those <laughs> things coming in. But Robert De Niro, I mean, how old is he? He is, uh, let me check again. He's 76. So, so so Robert De Niro is 76, and he's playing a guy that's, like, supposed to be, like, his 40s or 50s. But, like, he's throwing out these kicks, and the sound design is, like, does not match it at all. And he's, like, it's, like, these, well, it's supposed to be these heavy kicks where the guy's like, debilitated by the end. But instead it's just like he gives him a few packs. That's paps. where that see, that's where it's a, I felt that the de aging was starting to get really noticeable. <laughs> that's when I noticed the de aging. It's like he looks young, but like I don't know I don't know about those kicks, man. You gotta go to the gym. But um the only other part that I didn't like, it's just one shot. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a transition shot. It's uh it's they use this big fat wide lens for it and it's it's you can see down two hallways it's put in a corner mm-hmm. and it's two guys just rounding a corner but it's 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 an, it's an ugly ugly shot <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, that was one uh, okay that was one shot i remember seeing. oh yeah this looks pretty weird for what's essentially scorsese's passion project it's, it's not fitting because all the other shots are like gorgeous and they're like from far away and like yeah. it really like helps to make all these characters like look really good and then they just use like this fat like fish island <laughs> to get like two sides of a hallway and it's like you don't need that yeah could've, uh, could've left <laughs> that out. but
0: uh but if we're talking about the what this movie is looks like visually it's just so uh, it's it is just gorgeous how uh, scorsese still manages to capture all of these differing eras in american history too so.
1: for sure how much was the budget for this movie it was Nearly a hundred sixty million dollars. It is noticeable. These scenes are seamless. They're so gorgeous looking Mm -hmm. Even because yeah, they go through several eras and so there's different cars for every single scene and There's tons of like on the street footage like they're outside. They're not like tucked away in some set somewhere There's tons of scenes like that and the production value it's visible and it's not a moment of it is wasted at all, too. Not at all. I mean, Scorsese really sinks his teeth in these environments. Like, they, <laughs> they use every part of it. Yeah. They, like eat. There's even, like, little, little things that, you know, blocking-wise that they do just to get characters to a different side of the room just to let us check it out, you know? Like, they'll be over in the corner and they say, like, oh, Frank, go sit at the bar or something like that. Art. And and, now, and then we get this gorgeous shot into this kitchen. Like, <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah. the environments are amazing. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, do you also want to talk a little bit about how there's so many Tonys in the movie? <laughs> That's a... <laughs> now, at first I was like, all right, Al Pacino, you're being a little racist with the... Like, all your friends are Tony. You guys can't think of any other names? There's a lot of Tonys in this film, ladies and gentlemen. There's a lot of Tonys. <laughs>
0: a lot of Tonys, but it's like, Tony what? I think hey, there's Tony one. Hey, Tony,
1: how do, you do It's like, I'm just trying to imagine the conversation between... <laughs> Between every other Tony's, like,
0: hey Tony, how you doing? Eh?
1: Yeah, th- that's um That's something that I feel that I experience with monster movies, where um, unless they have some kind of um, <laughs> moniker around their name, yeah. then I won't remember them. So if his name's like, uh, like Tony Borsellini or something like that, <laughs> if his name's like Tony the Butcher Borsellini, yeah. then I got it. We I have ha- like Tony Pro, Fat Tony. <laughs> Fat Tony, like that stuff helps, but no there's just there's so many characters in this film and I, I do lose a few of them yeah
0: I mean I uh, I didn't realize up until after uh, we saw them apparently Don Rickles was a
1: character in the movie too what yeah you did was, was he in the old folks home <laughs> I think he was uh,
0: I don't I don't think he was in the old folks home but I think he was uh, there was a scene where, uh, he, where they're in the where uh, they're in the comedy club I think that's what it was mm-hmm. and then I think that I guess that might be Don Rickles there so it's
1: like yeah maybe yeah I haven't checked the IMDb for this film, but <laughs> i I thought I saw a lot of actors and actresses from Mad Men walking hmm. in the backgrounds.
0: Oh, yeah, that's another thing. That's another thing that I thought about. That's another thing I thought to myself too. So, like, for a Scorsese
1: movie, it's like this also looks like a really great Mad Men episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the, the the colors really do exemplify the periods. Yeah. But yeah, I I thought I saw like like if I thought I saw like Cosgrove and. There's a there's a few of the the characters from Mad Men where I'm like is that is that him but you no, know, I think those <laughs> scenes were at night so you can't tell
0: yeah um, also I uh, also uh, there's a little there's something else I wanted to talk about in regards to uh, Jimmy Hoffa's very first scene in the movie it's like they just make a phone make a phone call and then after that they just blow up a bunch of taxi cabs <laughs> yeah
1: that's that's a pretty good opening scene
0: <laughs> so it's like uh, yeah, it's when I, uh, upon the, upon the instance that you started blowing up taxi camps, that's where I thought to myself, yeah, that's totally what I think Jimmy Hoffa would do. <laughs> yeah, it's about his speed. Yeah, but then it's like they're also trying, I love how they're also trying to paint him as somewhat, somewhat of a sympathetic guy in the first half based on uh, based on the way he starts interacting with Frank's children too and
1: his obsession with ice cream as well. <laughs> Well, yeah. That, well, that was a that the thing they're kind of establishing the film in a few yeah. scenes too. Is like, like who children will flock to, like yeah. who they deem to be trustworthy. And there's certain there's certain characters that you know, the children are like very very comfortable with when it comes to Frank or when it comes to De Niro's kids. Yeah. Um, and like yeah, like even like the interactions of like the kids in the scene are like very crucial to revealing a lot about the characters that you're seeing.
0: Yeah, like they're they may not be in the movie all that much yet. They you still feel. Uh, Yet you still feel that they still serve a really huge part of the movie, which is, again, I think it is again what I think exemplifies Scorsese's uh, Scorsese's talents as a storyteller. As well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Also, um, trying to think, there's a there was another moment in the movie that did, that did uh, stick out to me. I can't even. It was somewhere in the second half where uh, it's like. Where uh, Frank's uh, or Frank just meets Jimmy Hoffa, it's like, would you like to give the, uh, would you like to give these, would you like to give me the award over the ceremonies? And then what do you know? It's like, you're looking at. Uh, that's where we first see Anna Paquin, and then, it's like, and then it, and then uh, Joe Pesci is like right next to her. She's so like, she's, she's clearly visibly uncomfortable just at the thought that. Frank's associates are there
1: in the same room too mm mm-hmm. so, so. yeah I can't remember the scene very well
0: yeah but uh, but when uh, thing is when she when she's being offered to dance with Joe Pesci I think that's how it ha- I think that's how it took place but it's like she's only uh, oh okay yeah 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 she's only just there just sticking with Jimmy Hoffa
1: the whole time. Well, exactly. Yeah, she's not comfortable around like these mafia guys. <laughs> she's there for her hubby. <laughs> yeah. But and then there's also that. Uh, there's,
0: but then again, like how I like how uh, how Russell, Joe Pesci's character, tries as he's been trying his best to win her over as a child, especially in the bowling alley. Yeah. And then what do you know? It's like as the movie go, as the movie goes on, it's like no. Nah, I don't, she's like,
1: uh, I don't even know, man. He's not a, he's not a, yeah. But, but. yet, uh, and
0: uh, yet she still appears at his, okay, should I spoil this or? Don't spoil anything. Okay, yeah, that's like. I mean. Don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Then yet she appears at, in a final scene with uh, Pashi's character, it's like, it's like, whoa, it's like what ha- what happened in between the i was wondering i was just wondering what happened in between that period of time too you know
1: uh, which period which,
0: it's which like time? when uh back when from uh from the award ceremony
1: to their uh,
0: to their time in prison
1: to so the time in prison
0: yeah <laughs> so
1: like that's right cuz we don't see them get booked yeah um i don't i don't know yeah. probably probably just same as usual I, I actually didn't think about that
0: yeah but I just I just kind of like to think that uh, how uh, over over time, when we see uh, Frank with his children, they're always like so energetic. But yet, yet as time went on, it's like oh, it's like uh, I, the the children are just thinking, uh, no, I don't even, I don't even want to think about him anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, there's a there's a distance that like happens between Frank and a few characters throughout the film. And it's it's um it's subtle enough where by the end of the movie it comes as like a bit of a surprise or a twist. Mm-hmm. Uh when it comes to realizing like certain like like how certain characters have grown together or how certain characters have like come apart. It's um there's a lot of attention to detail in that part. It's like uh it's impressive enough to just knowing that
0: Scorsese is able to fit all of this with such an incredible running time to I guess. Okay. Because uh you see when it came to uh when it came to uh, when it came to just uh, thinking about how uh, how long this is Scorsese's longest movie for the matter It's like yeah You're there's never a moment where I felt like oh he's uh, no nah, he's totally wasting every bit of this language like nope. um there was never a moment I would ever say I felt bored
1: sorry what were you saying
0: there was a point where I was wondering uh, before the movie before the movie started how much. If Scorsese was actually gonna use the running time so well, but the thing is with the helmet, how he fits in all of the interactions between each character and where they and where how far they're going, is like there's never a moment. Did you ever feel like there was a moment he he wasted? In the, uh
1: except for maybe the except par, for the fish scene, I guess. Scene. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a that's a. That was a scene, but uh, <laughs> I, no, I don't think so. If you looked at the script and the ideas and the pages of research for this film, by any stretch of the imagination, this would be like a 10-part Netflix series. This would be like crazy stretched out, but it's not. It's put into this three-and-a-half-hour film, which is like, it, you may go like, oh, that's, that's a long time to sit down in a theater. But for what the story is, how complex it is, and for the moments that they take to actually just sit characters down and like, let them talk. Mm-hmm. not about anything that drives a plot but just like personal stuff and hearing like these old guys talk in the middle of like this this gripping <laughs> story is, and it's it's this crazy intertwined story that's going on and you don't know where it's going to go you you don't know what the kicker is going to be you don't know if there's going to be a punchline at the end you don't know where the story is going and they have these moments to sit these old guys down to just talk <laughs> but it's not wasted none of it's wasted and for what the story is like Honestly, it might be a little short. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, that's what I—that's what I thought too. So because, and the uh,
0: thing is, when you first see Frank entering the mob, it's like, oh, actually, this is a—it's uh, this is the Scorsese I love. and I'm having a lot of fun with this. Then, as it uh, enters the second half, it starts to become—it starts to get noticeably a lot more quiet. I'm thinking, oh, okay, this like, this is how we're, we're already starting to feel. Uh, we're already starting to feel like we had an entire era of history placed upon us, and then, at then near the very end, we re- we're back to seeing uh, Frank in the retirement home, and suddenly it's like, oh no, no, no! This is uh, this is this is too devastating. For
1: yeah, no, the this movie is really ambitious, and using like insisting on using these actors for it, I think was a really good decision. Mm-hmm. I know the edgy technology is like really expensive, but <laughs> I'm really happy we didn't see some like. <laughs> Yeah. some like nowadays actor trying to play robert de niro when he's like 50 or something yeah. like that and plus uh, it's um i'm just really glad that scorsese was
0: actually able to get this made too even if you know a, lo- a big studio wouldn't even be willing to put up the money for it because you know when uh, when marvel is taking up the net is taking up the market as always ugh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we also and one last thing we want to talk about here that final shot
1: the the final shot of the movie final shot a lot of a lot of people didn't get uh, and we got a little meeting afterwards Mm -hmm. as we said before but uh during that little meeting a lot a lot of people didn't connect it to an earlier moment in the movie Mm -hmm. i I did oh i i I assume you did as well i did uh so which moment is it you were talking about it's a bit of a spoiler oh (laughs) never mind then if you you know what i'm talking about with
0: oh yeah now i know what you're talking
1: about yeah it's a spoiler, but there's this one moment right at the end, the final shot, and it's it's beautiful. I hope you get it. I hope you get what this movie's about because mm-hmm. it is it's so beautiful and so sincere.
0: And you know the first thing the first thing I thought about when I saw that final shot is that this is uh I like to think about how Frank is still he's still trying he wants he just wants to remain hopeful with what little he has left of his life, too. But at that point at that point in time, there's nobody else around for him anymore.
1: Oh yeah. So the the movie does start with um uh Frank's in an old folks home. Mm-hmm. He's um he's he's living there, he's outlived a lot of his friends and so he's just kinda giving this um he's giving up some of this information. I I forget to who, but anyways, he's he's addressing someone, he's that that's how the story is framed. Mm-hmm. And so it, it ends with him alone in his room is it christmas or is it just a regular night it just seems like a regular night oh for some reason i had in my mind i might be mixing movies i thought it was christmas oh i mean oh. i mean i think there was one there was one scene that did take place at christmas so okay that's <laughs> that's definitely what it is but so anyways yeah he's alone on this this night and it it really is a question of like what is this for yeah and i do think that ties to this corsage what you're saying about making these mobster films like what am I, what actually am i doing here what is my end game because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just gonna end up, <laughs> yeah. and let's not. Uh, since you mentioned Endgame right there, it's like we are also gonna. <gasps> <laughs> when, when's our when's our Endgame uh, chat?
0: <laughs> and uh, yeah, also it's like, also now that we're done talking about the movie, so we also want to talk a little bit about how uh, our experience was uh, heightened up by the meeting that we had after the movies. So it's like
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how often they do those, but i probably they, uh, I'd they rec- do ha-
0: they do ha they do happen every uh every month i believe so.
1: yeah i'd I'd recommend going to one of those yeah um it's it's really good to be able to empty some of your thoughts, especially with a film like this mm-hmm. if you go and see a film like Avengers or some big movie like that, mm-hmm. there's really nothing to discuss afterwards yeah. except that they <laughs> break their own time travel rules why yeah <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to those movies you don't need that kind of thing but with i don't know with movies like this it it really does demand it to need to air out your thoughts and how you feel about it and uh, that's what i love about the tiff lightbox in general too it, it's a great environment yeah it's just uh you're
0: when you're watching a movie in a in just like a regular cineplex you're just watching it with casual movie goers they don't they're they only they already know what they want but if you're watching something like this at the tiff light box it's like you're watching this with people who you know really
1: really are into the movies too they care yeah. they're, they're not there for i know this is going to sound like dismisses of people that just go to the movies just to relax but it's not people that are there just to unwind mm-hmm. or just to look at something to occupy two hours Mm-hmm. or three and a half <laughs> but it, it's people <laughs> that care they're invested they, they want to know what's
0: next mm-hmm. and so I think that's uh, I think we're going to end this off by saying that by saying this our overall opinion of the Irishman what do we give what's, uh, what do we give it on our rating scale like of our like like out of five so like. out of five yeah
1: <laughs> I don't have a complaint I, when it comes, I know that I brought those up, but that's just circumstance. That's that's not something you can alter. Mm-hmm. I really, I think this might be a near perfect kind of movie for what it's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I'd give this a five out of five, and that's what I. And I I'd highly recommend you see it. I would highly recommend that you see it as well. I, it's, got my, got my, it's got my seal of approval. <laughs> and it's got my
0: seal of approval too. And I also have... A, for those of you who are listening right now, I do have a review a written up on the Cinema from the Spectrum website. And if you do have a chance, definitely go and try to see this movie in a movie theater because if you're going to... I mean, granted, if you're waiting for this to, to show up on Netflix, you're still going to be uh, caught up by watching one of the best movies of the year. But come on now. It's just... It's just that there's a whole other experience you're feeling when you're watching this, When you're watching something as huge as this in a movie theater.
1: Yeah, and if you're gonna see it, see it with friends because you're gonna want someone to talk to about everything that happens. It's it's a great experience.
0: And so that concludes our show. Thank you for thank you for joining me, Jonathan. And thank you again for joining me. Thank you again for joining me in the first place to come see the movie over the TIFF Lightbox.
1: Hey, it's my pleasure.
0: Hey, all right and so and so you've been listening to Cinema from the Spectrum I'm Jamie Revenal signing off see you later